Here we go. Black Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Simpson, and I'd like to thank all of you who may be joining us for the first time. So new listeners, thank you very much for tuning in and welcome back those of you who wonderfully and regularly tune in. Black Talk is a monthly program that centers Black voices, thought, and vision. And while I believe every show we do is special, today's show is super special. And if you're wondering why, it's because we're going to have an opportunity to spend some time talking with Bruce Ayers. Bruce Ayers is the musical director and founder of the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony based in Nashville. And Bruce and the symphony will be coming to Boulder on Sunday, the 19th of February. And we are so excited. Bruce Ayers, it is such a pleasure to have you here with us this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. You know, Bruce, my first question for you, and it wasn't my first question when I was originally preparing for our conversation this morning, but it just occurred to me that I'd love to hear what your first musical memory was. Oh, I think my first musical memory probably dates back to maybe four years old. Um, I come from a very musical family, mostly vocal uh, singers. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. And so, well, actually, instrumental as well. All of, There's 12, I have 12 first cousins on my father's side, and we all played instruments, all went through the same school system. Um, oh, my so God, my, you all are your own band. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's funny you say that, because we did, we would have band concerts in my grandmother's dining room. I love uh, that. <laughs> we, yeah. When you start beginner band, most of the time you read from the essentials book, the, the red book is what we call it in the band world. And mm-hmm. so um, for that, you know, we all had the same book and we'd come over for around Christmas time and we were playing things like hot cross buns and jingle. Then the claws comes to town and right. uh, it, was, it was just a really good experience. And so um, I was going to say my first musical experience when I was about four years old and my aunt, she was a pianist. Um, and so they had this old piano. It was out of tune. And so I'm four years old, just banging on the piano. And everyone's, you know, trying not to be aggravated because, you know, they, <laughs> I guess they say he's enjoying himself. He's quiet. So <laughs> let him play the piano. Right, um, right. But, you know, in hindsight, it was probably just noise. But in, in me, I was creating beautiful music. Exactly. Um, and so my grandmother, she when she became ill, she was wheelchair bound. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was playing too loud or too much. If she, if I heard that wheelchair coming around the corner telling me, <laughs> get off that piano, stop banging on that piano. My grandfather would say, no, let him play because we don't know this, what could turn out, what will turn out from this. Mm-hmm. And so my grandfather, he was a, an advocate of me banging and he wasn't, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's fabulous. Thank you for sharing that. So I know the question in every listener's mind is what inspired you? What inspired you to establish a symphony 
an all black wind band ensemble. What, what is the root of that? Where did that come from? How much time do we have first? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think I need to start a little bit, uh, go back a little bit. Okay. Band has always been a part of my life. It's always been the most meaningful thing to me, other than, you know, family and my spirituality. Um, but just music in general has played such a huge uh, part of the, it was a huge part of the puzzle for me. And so my father, he was all American, you know, football player and just really talented in sports. And you know, I had I had that natural gene, I guess, for sports as well, but I, I kind of didn't go in that direction. My dad, he fought me on that for a long time growing up. Um, but band, like fifth grade band, I remember beginner band. And there was it, when I went to the band room, I felt like a kid in a candy store, except for I was in a band room around instruments and I didn't know what I wanted to play. I just I know I wanted to play everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. I actually just talked to my fifth grade band director, my beginner band director last week. We had a really good, good. yeah, Mr. Alex Beckton, shout out to you. <laughs> um, and so he just, you know, he raved about how proud he was and, mm-hmm. you know, he always thought that I was going to be different, but I, I got to give him that credit for letting me explore that curiosity um, mm-hmm. when it comes to music. And so fast forward a little bit, I, you know, I did band all the way through college, actually. And so I took it seriously. I practiced a lot. I did have a natural talent for music, but I, I did have to hone those skills by practicing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I became better, I started getting accepted to these honor bands and ensembles in all states and regions and districts and winning, winning solo and ensemble competitions and, you know, offered scholarships for college. And so in that experience, I was always one of the only Black kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I do use that uh, lightly just because, you know, maybe out of 100 participants, there could have been 10 of us. Got it. Got it. Um, you know, and do- outgroup in Dover, Delaware is a diverse population. Um, but, you know, in music, it's, it's heavily, um, it's, it's, I guess, oh, let me choose my words carefully. <laughs> um, there's not a black representation in music education, really. Mm-hmm. So I just, I didn't, I didn't put a name to it then. It wasn't a thing to me. It just, it was, I was doing what I loved. But, you know, looking back, it was, where were all of my, the people of color, where are all my brothers and sisters? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. uh, and it's not that we didn't play instruments. It's just that we didn't seek those opportunities. I think there was maybe a lack of exposure, mm-hmm. possibly. But I went on to college. I went to Virginia State University for undergrad. You're kidding. No. That's my alma mater. Are you serious? Trojans. <laughs> oh, I believe Origin Blue. <laughs> Petersburg. Oh, my God. Okay, that's another conversation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't think we were supposed to go there today. I can't. Okay. Can <laughs> okay. Petersburg, Virginia. Yeah, I, I went to Virginia State University. Um, I graduated in 2012. There, I was the drum major as well for the Trojan Explosion marching band. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, mind blown. Um, so after my matriculation at Virginia State, I went to Tennessee State University for my master's in music education. Mm-hmm. And from those two institutions alone, um, I came across so many talented musicians. 
that had the same mindset as me when it came to music and band in particular, instrument, instrumental music. Um, and it, it, it was like a whole new world because they looked like me, but they were just as serious as me as well. And mm -hmm. so I, I love that HBCU experience. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a chance to really, and you know, being a kid from Dover, Delaware, I needed that too. I wasn't sheltered from black culture growing up, but it just wasn't in your face. Mm -hmm. um, and so that HBCU experience really kind of helped mold me, I think, into my my black proudness, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you will. Um, and so after, you know, graduating from my master's program, I started teaching at Pearl Cone and Chairman Magna High School here in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, predominantly African-American uh, population okay and you know we had a really good band we did marching band really really good but there was a piece missing um I think that foundational piece it, it comes in the music classroom in the concert band setting or the orchestral setting okay. um, but that piece was missing you know we do marching band and entertainment very well but there's this lack of I not I, I don't want to say lack because there are a lot of HBCU programs and, you know, people of color that do very well in Excel and wind band. However, they just, that, that foundation wasn't set. And so when, you know, when I would introduce them to music, um, you know, more of the classical genre, you know, it, some of the responses that I would get would be, why are we playing this white music? And mm -hmm. so you know, I'm saying like, well, what, what is white music? Mm -hmm. um, is it just because, it's not something that you're, you're accustomed to. Is it different for you? And so I was able to change the culture there, not single-handedly, but we, me, my team and I, we did change the culture there to flip it where concert band was the, the prominent ensemble and marching band came afterwards. It was, marching band was kind of like a, a treat, if you will. Wow. Um, and so when that happened, you know, students, opportunities opened, scholarships and those honor bands that I was telling you about earlier, um, those started to come into play. And so now I have students that are going to college full scholarships for band specifically. Mm -hmm. And that was that was a really eye-opening experience for me. Um, so I thought, I thought about my time back at Tennessee State and Virginia State. And I came across these musicians. But, you know, college, you don't really, you, you have a, a specialization or you, you have a major and so if your major is not music, which most aren't music majors, um, you know, on average, if the band has 300 students, mm -hmm. maybe 40, 45 of that 300 may be music majors. And so what happens to all that talent when you at commencement day, when you walk across the stage and you turn your tassel over, what are, what, what opportunities are there for you if you weren't yeah. in music? Now, you raise a good point. I, you know, and that's something that occurred to me the more I started learning about the symphony, you know, the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony. How do you, you know, this is kind of a nuts and bolts question. How do you design, how do you put a symphony together? You have what, approximately 60 members or so, yes. just about 60 members? I mean, do you put an ad out on Craigslist or something or Instagram? I mean, how do you, how do you do that? How do you recruit? Just how do you recruit? Well, for me, um, your goal, your end goal is to design, develop a symphony. I, I, don't, I don't know where do you begin with that? Well, for me, I, I, I can only answer for myself. I began with a lot of prayer. Okay. <laughs> lot okay. Of prayer. <laughs> um, 
And I, I had this vision for a long time. I didn't have a name on it. It wasn't even African-American specific. It was just to create a community ensemble that was on a professional level. We have a lot of community ensembles, but I wanted this one to be different. I wanted this one to be not something we just do for fun, but we do it for our love for music and the, our ability to share those gifts. You know, I, I want to be global. I want this thing to to multiply. Um, and so it did start with a, a survey. I had a, a close network, you know, the people that I went to school with. And so while the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony is not, I guess, a proponent of Tennessee State University, it I would be remiss not to say that 85% of our musicians are Tennessee State University alone. Oh, and so, okay, okay. And so, um, you know, Tennessee State, I don't know if you've heard about our new accomplishments with the, the two-time Grammy nominations and the NAACP award um, nominations, image award. But um, yeah, so it did start with a survey because I, I did have that network and then they knew somebody and it just kind of, the conversation started. And so it actually happened right in the midst of the pandemic at the beginning of 2020 is when I first sent the survey out. And then the pandemic hit and the, and the world shut down. <laughs> and so I want, I knew I wanted to start, but I didn't know what else to do after that. I was like, well, um, I have interest, but now where do we get instruments from? Where do we get rehearsal space? And so that's where our partnership with Tennessee State University does come into play. Thanks to the director of bands, Dr. Reginald McDonald, who also serves as the board chairman for the National African-American Women's Symphony. Um, like I said, he's the director of bands for Tennessee State University, aristocratic bands as well. Um, and he just, he jumped on board and said, whatever you need, we'll make it work. And so he was very integral, a piece of that puzzle too. Um, another proponent is my president, Ashley Crawford. She goes by the stage name of Flute Bay, you know, flautist extraordinaire. She's amazing. And so I gave her a presentation of what my idea was for the symphony. And it, it was pretty much outlined. And I, I wanted to make it very professional. We were friends, but I wanted to approach her in a different way. And so I had a PowerPoint presentation to her for her. And I told her, you know, the reasons why this is needed, um, how we can go about accomplishing it and then what the steps would be to um you know bring it to light and so i i, I left the last slide was this little corny uh, phrase it was i had this wild dream and i think i'm going to give it a go but it won't work unless you'll be my coo and so she <laughs> she 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 pretty much just laughed and she fell out and um she's been my my partner in crime ever since and she she's the reason why we started i say because, you know, while the dream was there, the vision was there, the plan to action was there. She says, OK, Bruce, I hear you. But if we don't start now, we'll never start. And so she gave me that push to just let go of fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she just, <laughs> just let go of fear. Mm -hmm. And so um, we started. She said, you know, we're in the pandemic. But at this point, we kind of had a we, we understood what COVID was. We understood, you know, proper procedures to to make everyone a little bit more safe. And so she says, you know, we have these things. We just create a policy that says, okay, we're going to start rehearsing, but, you know, we'll be six feet apart. Please wear your mask. We had sanit hand sanitizer all over the place. Um, and we, we did those things. And I, I'd say, you know, no one got sick in this symphony from, from our rehearsals and our meetings and our performances. Like we all were able to stay pretty healthy in that setting. 
And so that was one of the fears was like, well, you know, I don't want to be the reason for anyone getting sick. Um, but it all worked out. Oh, you know, Bruce, speaking of dreams, I read that you once said, when I'm on the podium and I'm conducting the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony, it's a young black boy that's living out what his purpose of life is. That's still true for you. That's still true. That's still very true for me. Um, I can remember being that that little boy, five years old, six years old, and I have, you know, probably a pencil in my hand and listening to music. My mom would turn on the radio, the classical radio station, and I'm just conducting and just in my own zone, eyes closed, and I have a tuxedo on, and there are hundreds of people playing this beautiful music in front of me and under under my baton. And so that I had those experiences. That was me, my imagination at five years old. Bruce, what instrument do you play? My primary instrument is actually the euphonium. And that's a new instrument for a lot of people. They, I haven't heard of the euphonium. And another name for it is the baritone. Valve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah uh, I call it a baby tuba. It looks like a baby tuba, but sounds like a big French horn. <laughs> So what got you into the euphonium? How did you get introduced? Actually, I didn't start playing euphonium until my 12th grade year of high school, my senior year in high school. I played trumpet from second grade was the first instrument. Well, piano was my first instrument, but trumpet was the instrument that I got when I turned seven years old. And so I told my, my dad, I said, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I want a, I want a horn. I want an instrument. And he says, um, well, what kind of horn? I said, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I just want to, I want an instrument. My cousins had their instruments. And so he was like, well, you'll get one when you get in fifth grade for a beginner band. I said, no, I want one now. He said, well, what else do you want for Christmas? I said, I don't want anything else. I don't want anything else. And so Christmas came that year and my dad, uh, he had a gift for me and he waited. Like I said, I grew up with 12 first cousins and we always celebrated Christmas together. The entire family was at my, we call her grandma. Uh, that's my grandmother and pop-up. We were all at Grandma and pop-up's house every holiday together. And so I got my gift last and I was kind of sad, of course, you know, seven-year-old, where's my gift at? <laughs> and I knew I just wanted that horn. So my dad gives me the horn and I opened it and I cried. <laughs> he says, why are you crying? You said you wanted a horn. I said, dad, this is, it was like a Fisher Price trumpet. <laughs> I said, that is a toy. I want a real instrument. <laughs> he was like, oh, you were serious. The next day, my dad had a, a real trumpet for me. Oh, that's fair. I love that story. <laughs> the very next day, my dad had a real trumpet. And I would blow and play that thing. And it didn't sound like anything to anybody else except for me. Um, yeah, and so I played... stories. I've got to tell you about the stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so um, he actually, uh, a part of that gift was getting lessons. So I started taking trumpet lessons when I was seven. Um, and... I played trumpet from seriously from second grade until about 11th grade. And the baritone is not a very common instrument. Uh, in my high school band, there was about 220 kids in that band. And we probably had three baritone players out of 220. And so I was like, well, I like that instrument too, because the baritone is very diverse. I could play the bass line. I could play the harmonies. I could play the melody. I could play the counter melody. And so it's an instrument that is all encompassing all the music, I think. Um, and so I was like, well, we only have three. I think something happened where 
uh, one of the students wasn't able to make a performance. So I said, I'll play it. And they were like, how are you going to play the baritone? You never, you never played it before. But the baritone, it reads both clefs, treble clef and bass clef. And so you can still read baritone music in treble clef. Trumpet is in treble clef. So it, it was just a switch of a mouthpiece more than anything. And just getting used to that ombre change. And so I was like, well, just give it to me over the weekend and I'll come back and I'll know the music. And so I came back and I learned the music and we had the performance and it was great. And I never touched the trumpet again. Well, you know what? We are getting close to time. And what we're going to be doing um, with our conversation today is kind of we got a two-parter. And uh, we wanted to start with you, Bruce, and learn more about the symphony. What I want you to do for us now before we kind of transition and speak to some members of the symphony, but I want you to give us some idea of what we're in store for. So on February the 19th, when you are in Boulder in Mackey Auditorium, 3 p.m., what can we expect? What can we look forward to? Because as I said, folks are already excited. So uh, kind of let's gin up the excitement even more. So what oh, for can sure. Without giving too much away, because I want you guys to still have that element of surprise. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> you guys are in for a treat. And I don't say that to brag. I say that when you hear the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony, it's an experience that you didn't know that you needed. Um, the music is emotional because our love for music really does come out through the horn. Um, fingers crossed. I haven't had anyone come up to me yet that has not enjoyed themselves. In fact, you know, a lot of people do come up to us at the end of the pro programs in tears. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's we're going to play music highlighting the works of African-American composers. And so there's there's some pieces that are going to be really heavy pieces that are necessary for the climate that our current country is in. And so that's going to that's what I can say for you now. I love that. I mean, that's a that's a wonderful, wonderful way to to put it. And you're right. You know, given all that is happening, we've been through collectively and individually. As I said, I think it's going to be just a wonderful elixir, um, good for the soul. You, you know, I used to play the tuba in marching band, so I'm wondering, can I come with you? Can I join? Oh, for sure. Nashville <laughs> every Sunday from six thirty to eight thirty. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there. No, but Bruce Ayers, thank you so much for joining us. And as I said, we're going to have kind of a part two. So KG and you listeners, stay tuned. We wanted to introduce the, the symphony and, and hear about the inspiration and at least lay the groundwork before speaking to some members of the symphony. So hang in there. And Bruce, thank you so much. And as I said, we can't wait to have you in town on the thank 19th you. of February. And again, KG and you listeners, all of this information will be posted on the website. It's going to be at CU's University of Colorado at Boulder. It'll be at their Mackey Auditorium. Okay. So again, thank you very much. Thank you. See you guys there. You are listening to KGNU FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390 
Denver. So, Bruce, now we're going to get an opportunity to speak to some of your compatriots. We're going to get an opportunity to speak to Stephanie Richardson, Marissa King, and Derek Green, all three members of the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony. And what I'd like the three of you to do is to just tell us how you came to the symphony. How were you introduced to it? Stephanie, why don't we start with you? Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephanie Richardson. I am the Director of Communications for the National African-American Wind Symphony, and I'm also a board member. And occasionally I play the clarinet for the Wind Symphony. And uh, I guess how this all came to be is we all share a common thread, which is music, of course, but we are all here in this great city called Music City, USA, which is known for its you know, historical roots in country music, of course, and all of these great genres, but we've all linked up here at Tennessee State University where we've marched in the band or we've been, I guess, music academics, people have studied at TSU's music majors. So we've all come together for this purpose and it's just been incredible, just a great meeting of the minds Everybody has been putting their their genius and their expertise on this to take it up and lift it up off the ground. So it's been exciting and everybody just has so much to offer the Wind Symphony. And it's just been a journey and we're we're still learning and it's been incredible. It's such a beautiful story. You know, when you say Nashville and also when you mention Tennessee State, it just makes me laugh. It makes me go back, regress. So when I was at Virginia State, and oftentimes Tennessee State would beat us in football. Okay. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, I digress. <laughs> Derek, welcome to Black Talk. Could you uh, introduce yourself? Absolutely. I am Dr. Derek Green. I am from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, originally, I, of course, went to Tennessee State. Um well, honestly, like a lot of members of the Wind Symphony, so that's kind of a beautiful thing. It's almost every Sunday is a, a class reunion of sorts. Um, but I studied, uh, my advanced degrees are in performance from uh, the University of Memphis. And I came to the symphony. Um, actually, Bruce asked me, and I was honestly delighted. Uh, I guess I should say I'm the uh, principal percussionist uh, of the Wind Symphony. So when Bruce asked, I was more than delighted to uh, come play because leaving grad school, I was looking for more opportunities to play because that's just really what I love to do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I got my start in the Wind Symphony, and I haven't looked back since. Well, that's fabulous. Well, again, welcome to Black Talk. Marissa King, let's hear from you. Hello, everyone. Uh, good afternoon or good morning. Uh, my name is Marissa King. I am the historian for the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony. Um, I'm a 2017 graduate of Tennessee State University as well, received my bachelor's in uh, criminal justice. And so I currently work in our state capitol um, as a legislative analyst for state representatives and senators. Um, so unfortunately, nothing in the music world anymore. Um, I've been playing piano since I was three, saxophones, middle school. So it's been my whole life um, because since graduating after uh, being in the aristocratic bands, I probably touched my horn about three times. Okay, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, 
Right. But you know what they say, like the muscle memory is real. And if you really have a passion for it, which all of us do, it never leaves. Um, and that's what NAS really brings out of everyone, because majority of the individuals and um, participants in the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony do not uh, play their instruments daily. I mean, it probably hadn't touched their instruments in a few years as well. Um, so it's something that brought music back into our lives and it brought, it made us, uh, able to do something one day a week that is for me sort of self-care. <laughs> um, so I truly appreciate the experiences and just everything that this organization is teaching me just personally about just, uh, our just statements and our, uh, 501c3 incorporation situations and like everything like that. It's so good for people to understand how to create a business and how to make something that you love, something that can be shared and something that can bring joy, um, to everyone else too. So that's it's me. <laughs> well, welcome. Well, welcome. You know, as I understand it, the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony, um, along with establishing this world-class kind of wind band, also provides music education, if I'm correct, um, training resources, as well as performing arts entertainment exposure for young musicians. And what are your, what are your audiences saying? What are Black folks saying about this symphony? Because Less than 2%, as I understand it again, less than 2% of musicians in American orchestras are African-American, and about 4% of those are conductors. So again, what's the feedback? What are you getting? What are you getting in the community? What are you getting as you visit other locations, as you travel? What's been the response? When you sit in the audience, it's a visceral reaction. People are very emotional. When they start playing the Black National Anthem, everyone stands up and it's like everyone's on the same page and it's a beautiful feeling because it's that sense of pride and it's like, yes, this is truly for us. We really haven't experienced this lane of music. Like when you think of a wind symphony, uh, people think of an orchestra, um, which is understood because people, they, they conflate the two. However, it's just the pure appreciation for the art form and it's just emotional and people are proud and you get a lot of mmm and yes. And it's just really, really good music and it, it's very, it feels so good to see people receive it that way. They're very receptive to it. And I, I love the, the responses that we get from our audiences and they want to see more of us and they want to know when's the next event so they can show up. I mean, we've packed out the last two events that we've had, like people really show up and they really want to see more of what the what Nas has to offer. So it's a very wonderful experience to see people really receiving this well. Yeah. Yes, actually, I will say that on a, on a more social level, I love the educational aspect that it's bringing to um, the Black community. But one other thing I love and I've been noticing these last couple events 
is that it's the mere fact that I guess these spaces were not or have not been originally for us to attend. And so when you think of symphonies, when you think of orchestras for Nashville residents, you think of going down to TPAC, the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, and dressing up nice and getting to have one night where you and your lady friend can go out and, you know, dress up and have a great night on the town. And we as a Black community never have really had those spaces. One thing I will say is that we know how to dress and we know how to show up. And anywhere that you allow us to come and wear our Sunday go best, not on a Sunday, we're going to do it. And they come and they bring the family. And it's you could tell that it's something that holds somewhat of a prestige moment for them their life, um, that they can say they attended a Black symphony. They got to dress up in their Black ball gowns and attend a Black symphony. Well, you know, we've already been told that <laughs> in attending your performance on the 19th to come correct. So it's it's already out there. OK, oh. it's already out there. So um, we've been told we got the memo. And so <laughs> thank you for sharing that. I will say that most of our concerts, I think, with respect to one concert or no, two concerts have been free to the public um, and that also that we don't see with a symphony. And so some might say that as a beginning um, organization, those type of events have to happen. But I say no, in our communities, we can make music, great music on this level, accessible to all people. All people can come, just show up. And they, they do. that's very important to uh, remember and just to recognize. So Derek, did you have to audition? Yes. Uh, so for the principal spot, uh, Bruce actually reached out and he had a set of uh, audition requirements that he wanted each principal percussion, well, not in principal percussion, but each principal uh, auditionee, I would say, to uh, accomplish, which were some scales and uh, a little bit of a prepared piece. So yes, there was an audition there. Um, but me and Bruce go back. We were actually in school together. So we kind of know each other's work ethic and each other's playing ability. So to get in the symphony, I did not. I was fortunate to not have to audition. He just asked and I showed up. Okay. Okay. Just checking. Just checking. Because I have a feeling with my tuba, I'm going to have to audition. It's been a long time. So that's well, why I just wanted to get ready. I just Because I have not touched that instrument in like 100 years. So just wanted to check. I just wanted to check. So how have you all changed? And, and Bruce, you're still with us, so please feel free to jump in and respond to this question. How have you changed, if you have, now that you are playing music again? Who wants to take that? I can start. Okay, thank you, Bruce. So I, I'm also a music professor at Tennessee State University. So I, I fortunately did not stop music. Um, I was able to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, but from from my aspect of change, uh, I have been 
forced to grow <laughs> as a leader. Um, and so I, I, my leadership has changed um, so much so that I even enrolled into a program for leadership. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I've, I've changed immensely because there are people that are counting on me to make sure that we are sustainable. Um, I have a great team of people that I think that are better than me. Um, they say A-level people hire A-level people, B-level people hire C-level people. And I have an A team. And so they have caused me to grow. Um, we are a family, but we also get business done. And um, and so that's that's my change. Got it. No, thank you for sharing that. How about you, Stephanie, Marissa, Derek, anybody? Jump in. I was going to say, um, kind of going back to my, my first statement, just a little bit to expound upon that. Um, a lot of individuals that play music throughout their younger life really see, uh, feel the impact of how music kind of kind of formulates their life until they get uh, older. And so because my job um, is nowhere in music, <laughs> sometimes we do like music advocacy legislation and things of that nature where I have, because my bosses and know that I'm in the symphony, they put me on those committees to give and expound um, insight into how that impacts our communities and our students. But more so, it's a it's a self-care, like a calming thing. And it really has made my weeks a lot easier at work. <laughs> um, my boss is a state representative uh, from Memphis. Um, and Memphis has always been a busy city. But even now, more so, more so now, with recent happenings going on over there and in the South in general. And that has brought such a calming peace to our office. Like he will literally have me play more symphony music than the R&B jazz um, that we had when he first got elected. Um, and it has totally changed the outlook and the, the vibe really in our office and how we conduct business. And so I think that that goes to show how music in general can really shape a life and shape how you go about your day. Um, and, that, and so that it's truly a difference. I mean, truly a difference. So question I have for all of you is what your understanding was of classical or classical music and what it is now. Because when we think of the word, when we think of the term classical, um, typically I think of anyway, music, that was written in a Western musical tradition. Generally, it's been considered kind of serious and music that has lasting value. But that's often been also something that keeps some people away from it because it feels too precious or it feels as if the ownership belongs somewhere other than us. And when I say us, I'm talking about Black folks. It, it just feels like it's too distant, too far away. Um, and it's not because it's not possible or what have you. It just feels like it was written for someone else at another time and another place. So what's your relationship to classical music and was your introduction, I realize this is a kind of tripart question, um, was your introduction to classical music when you joined the symphony? Or had you had some exposure before that? Anybody can can take that question. Sure, Honestly, I'll jump in. I guess since I, I was I studied percussion when I was an undergrad and and uh, and further in school, so my initial 
impression of classical music was just like you said, um, when you think of classical music, you think of Beethoven and, and um, the Mozarts and Rachmaninoff and stuff like that. Um, and over time, that's kind of what gets ingrained as you go through your musical training, that that is the music that is the, the standard, the gold standard of all musical performance, that you have to play something from that high period of composition. But one thing that has helped and has aided, honestly, in my view of classical music is that with Nas, we play a lot of classical music by Black composers. And a lot of it was written in the 21st century, I'll say. Um, a lot of the pieces that we're programming for this concert were written, honestly, probably within the last 20 years, uh, say for maybe one or two pieces. And that's really helped um, open my mind and has helped me relate that to my students because I also teach uh, all black students. So to help to have those pieces to actually pull in as a case study of, hey, classical music is not just music written by old dead white men, but instead classical music is anything that can be played by a classical ensemble and have those pieces written by people who potentially look like my students. I think that has helped inform my teaching and has helped ex expand my thinking of classical music as a musician as well. No, absolutely, because again, so many um, people, including myself, didn't know until I was much, much older that there have been, there are, besides yourselves, um, Black classical musicians and have always been. But that's not a piece of kind of the education that many of us are exposed to. So Stephanie, Marissa, did you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I think when we think of classical music, it does seem a bit restrictive because we are focused on the prominent white composers. And that is the beauty and the thing that the, the beauty and the things that we have done with Nas, we celebrate people who have composed, I guess, what you can classify as classical, but we know that black music is a lot more rich and a lot more genre crossing than that. So what we do is we can, you know, from a point of reference, say classical, but we can play jazz. We can play, you know, whatever genre we want to play, but we want to celebrate what Black people can do, and we want to create the space for them to do that. And I think that we we have been in the educational system where we do learn about those same musicians, and I think that we don't tell the story of the brilliance of the other composers and other musicians. And it's important to share that and also celebrate regular people who can still play today. There are so many fabulous Black musicians who, um, who are still out there commercially now, but we really don't consider them composers per se. And I think that is a part of education too. We have to tell people, hey, even though you might not see a Wynton Marsalis as a composer. He is. He can play really well, but what he does in jazz is absolutely composition. So we're just broadening the thought 
about what we what we consider to be classical music and black music and kind of overlapping all of that. So I think um, just pretty much kind of opening up people's minds to what what the possibilities can be in music and what we truly are in a historical space. Now, that's wonderful. Marissa, it looked like you wanted to get in there. Fine. Honestly, mine is going to be because I don't and I'm going to be honest, I'm learning a lot actually by listening to y'all three right now. But truthfully, I've always liked classical music to play better than any other genre, like from a little girl, like and for some reason, it just connected more to me. And because a lot of black classical um, musicians, even when I had like wanted to audition for our Detroit Symphony Orchestra, I was like, mm, OK. Well, I know we're here, you know, because I know we're here. I see us, but I wanted to see us on the on the podium stage, you know. And so I got to researching myself and I was like, OK, so we are out here. I don't know why we don't publicly know this, but we are here. And um, Nas really shines a light on that because every time they pass out a piece of music, I, most of the time I won't know the um, uh, composer's name and that'll force me to Google. And most of us be like, hey, you heard of this person. Oh, okay, he's black. Oh, he's still living. Oh my good. Like, this is so good to know that people are like, us oh, still out here doing major, major things on that scale. Um, and it just kind of furthermore for me proves my fact that we have touched every single part of the musical spectrum, every single part. And so we're just reiterating it for people like in the back who don't know, <laughs> you know, we've been here. <laughs> I like how you put that. I like how you put that. Well, as we kind of wrap up this segment of Black Talk with you, members of the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony, what is something you want to leave us with? And when I say something you want to leave us with in terms of kind of your experience with the symphony? You know, what is something that keeps you coming back? What is the thing that keeps you coming to rehearsal? Because many of you obviously are doing other things in the world along with um, the uh, membership you have in the symphony and your commitment and dedication to the symphony. What is it that keeps you coming back? I'll start with you, Derek. Sure. Um, honestly, it's, it's not a hassle. A lot of my rehearsals, because I'm a professional musician outside of NAS, a lot of my rehearsals can tend to be a hassle. And this one is just not. It's it's free, it's 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 very structured, but at the same time is is not a I, I can't put it any other way. It's it's not a it's not a hassle to me to come to NAS and be able to make music with people that I have been making music with for at this point over 10 years. It's just it's just a blessing to be a part. And another thing I love about it is that the conductors, um, they a they come from different sections and they all play uh, in the ensemble, and they listen if you have a concern. I, I remember one time I asked Bruce, uh, actually programming this concert, I said, "Hey, you gonna have something for us to do in the back?" Because sometimes classical writing for percussion is a bit boring, and he listened. All the conductors listened, and they came with it. This this concert rotation, so we actually get to work out a little bit. So I, I really appreciate that as well. Mm -hmm. No, well, thank you for that. How about you, Steph? I think uh, just knowing how important this is to put a stamp on the legacy of Nashville and throughout, I guess, the world um, to let people know that Black people really are brilliant in our music 
And I think especially here in Nashville, like I said earlier, we've known Nashville to be country music and, you know, it's branded that way, but Music City is named Music City because of Fisk University and Fisk Jubilee Singers. And so to keep that, that, that legacy going to let people know that Black people are truly the roots of Nashville and to show the broad, the broad range of music that we can produce. And also from a youth's perspective, I think in the Black community, especially in the South and the East Coast, we see it stop at band. We see just marching band. A lot of people, um, you know, they learn instruments in middle school, high school, then their dream is to go to college and play for whichever HBCU band they want to play at. And then uh, that's the end of their, I guess, musical career for a lot of them. And I think it's important to let people know that we can create spaces where we can continue to play and we can continue to share community and share our ideas and be that place where we can relax and just really emote through our music. So I think that is the the part that really gets me going. I love to create. I love to launch things that are important and that that build a community that's important, especially for Black people. I think that's what keeps me going. Yeah, no, beautifully put, uh, Marissa. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie, I love that. But um, I was basically gonna say the things that keeps me coming back is the mindset that even as an adult, and I'm only 27 years old, so I guess I'm in my beginning of the growing stages where I'm learning things that I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life. And the only thing that keeps re come, like coming back in my mind is that there's always room for growth and there's always room for us. And so in places throughout history, in places that we never thought you would see a Black person, you're going to find somebody. And so for most of us, considering the fact that our daily jobs have nothing to do with music, this makes us... Um, really feel accepted, really feel like it's, it, you know, this is required and we know it and we see it. Um, and that type of feeling is really, really strong. It will never, it will keep you, it will keep pulling you back. That's all I can kind of say about it. Like that feeling that you get, that we get um, at the end of almost every show, seeing that place just continue to be more people, more people, folks on the walls, folks on, I mean, like, it really, everybody's face gets shocked every single time. And I love looking at the surprise on our face every single time because it's just like, yeah, we're doing this. And that growth that like, we're in here, this is space, this is our space. The growth that we are showing the community is just really powerful. And every, every minority community can feel this. This is like, this is definitely possible throughout everything. So that's just the thing that keeps everyone mentally kind of focused on it. And I can honestly say that all of us really came in with the same goal and that's to spread this and spread just us being able to be in this space. And so as long as that's the forefront, I think that we'll be unstoppable. So, yeah. Well, you know, I have to say this, um, I'm already feeling it just from your descriptions of what you plan to do. 
on Sunday, February the 19th, when you're in Boulder, and as you describe your experience and your journey um, and continued adventures with the music, I'd like to thank all of you, each one and every, each and every one of you, Bruce Ayers, Stephanie Richardson, Marissa King, and Derek Green. Uh, for agreeing to be on Black Talk this morning, and special thanks to Madeline Woodley and the entire NAACP Freedom Fund team that came up with the brilliant idea to invite you, to invite the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony to Boulder. It's interesting because I think the way we also want to talk about this um, and invite the community in is to let them know it's not only going to be this feast for the ears, but for the eyes, but for the eyes as well to see you on stage and to have an opportunity to, to listen. So again, thank you so, so much for joining me, Black Talk, this morning, and we can't wait to see you on the 19th. Until then, be well. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We'll see you soon, Boulder.
That was the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony playing Rocket Chip by Kevin Day. Nas will be in Boulder next Sunday at Mackey Auditorium. For more information about the concert, visit news.kgnu.org.